Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to watch. And, uh, you know, uh, not only through uh, television, but those of you who watch us via YouTube, we have such an audience that's watching us through YouTube, and we uh, we appreciate you because I think uh, what's happening is people are beginning to discover the substance that's coming uh, from us. We've been sharing on the Gospel of John, and uh, what we've been doing is contrasting it and showing you how that the Gospel of John is contrasting with uh, Moses. For instance, John starts out verse in chapter 1 by saying, Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then we see in John chapter 20 that John writes and says the purpose of this book is that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what he's showing you is the contrast of how Jesus is better than anything you ever imagined in the Old Covenant. What is so thrilling about this that I'm sharing with you is it has present reality to it. It is not something that's either in our past or in the distant future, but something that is available to us right now. That's why he says seven times in the Gospel of John, I am. It's not I am going to be or I used to be, I am. And that's one of the things that I believe we need to experience. Now what we did in the outset of this is we begin to show you how that this book is talking uh, in spiritual dimensions. It begins to shift the reader towards a spiritual dynamic. If you're not a scholar of the Word, you're going to miss the point of some of this stuff. But really, I'm telling you, he's really beginning to move them from a natural viewpoint, for instance, of a natural temple, to showing them that, first of all, Jesus is the temple of God, and then by extension, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's going to show them how that you are used to a natural physical lamb, but now the lamb is not a barnyard creature, it's Jesus in His redemptive work. Uh, You used to celebrate natural feast, but now we understand that Jesus is the Passover. And so what we're showing you is the, the, the spiritual dimension that's really truly written in this incredible book of John. And so I'm going to jump back in today and not unpack a lot of that, because once again you can go back to our YouTube channel and uh, you can watch it there, and you can get our, uh, like I said, our podcast on iTunes or the RSS feed for your Android by simply going to our website and at the upper right hand corner there's an icon that will take you directly to it so you can find us there. Uh, But I'm going to begin to, uh, I'm going to go back to the Gospel of John and I'm going to read this text again in John chapter 2. It says, "On the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage and they wanted wine. And the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, 
after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk them that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now, what I'm going to do is uh, last week, of course, I dealt with how this to me, Jesus, when this is his first miracle it would probably be very precedent-setting, or if you will, the law of first mention, to begin to see what he would do as the very first miracle that he would perform, because he's in his 30s. I am certain that there were probably people that were sick, people that had died in his family, or things that uh, perhaps may have needed a miracle. But this says this was the beginning of miracles. Now, I know his mother probably knew who he was, because she was saying to him, you know, take care of this. He said, Mom, my hour is not yet come. In other words, I think he was saying, this is not my wedding, but I can use it as a picture. And you can go back to the, uh, the first two uh, uh, programs that I did on this to show why I'm interpreting like this, because these are powerful revelations that come as we begin to understand the shift between the natural and the spiritual. In other words, he's going to use this very first miracle to show you something very powerful about the new covenant. And the first thing he wants to show you is it is like a husband-wife relationship where you come into union with him and we shared with you last week out of Romans 7 how that the Scripture says that we should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, so that we could bring forth fruit unto God. We're not going to get married to him. We're already married to him. Uh, and, 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 and the reality of it is, is we need to begin to act like a wife, because we are married to him. We carry his name. If we're not married to him, it's illegal to be intimate. It is illegal uh, to, 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 to use His name. But because we are married to Him, we have a right to pray and speak and say, in the name of Jesus, because it would be just like my wife going to the bank and signing her name on a check. We have the legal right as His spouse to do kingdom business on His behalf. Hallelujah. And we're not going to get married to Him. We're already married to Him. And I, if you want to look into that in more depth, watch last week's program on YouTube. It'll, it'll bless you greatly. But as He begins to call them to this uh, wedding, His mother says, whatever He says to you, do it. And so, and Jesus then, of course, He says, and, and so it says, and, and uh, uh, his mother says to him, whatever he says to you, do it. And there were there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. So now the next step is, there are six water pots that are used for the purifying of the Jews. 
And these six water pots were made out of stone. Now I think what he's going to show you here is that these six water spots, if you will, water pots, speak because the Bible number six is the number of Adam and his fallenness, or if you will, the man of clay or the man of dust. He's going to take earthen pots and fill them with water. So to me the powerful picture here is he's taking clay vessels like you and I, earthen vessels, and he's about to fill it with his spirit, which is a symbol of the water. Now these six water pots that were made of stone, again earth, to me speak of men and women under the law. But what he's going to do is take them that were used for purification. In other words, he's going to show you that even the method by which he's going to purify humanity is going to change. In other words, he's not going to purify you through the performances of Old Covenant rituals. He's going to purify you by what He puts inside of you. Because under the Old Covenant it was about performance, except the end of the law was there was none righteous, no, not even one, and it would leave you in an endless desperation thinking, here's an Old Covenant quote, can the leopard change his spots? In other words, there is no real change under the Old Covenant. You might be able to modify the behavior of a man under the Old Covenant by putting him under threat of death or punishment or some other way, but you cannot change uh, the leopard spots under the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant you can not only be changed, you can be regenerated or regenerated or trans, hallelujah, or transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can be made new. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what your past is. I'm telling you some of the final words out of the lips of Jesus in the book of Revelation is, Behold, I am making all things new. And He tells them, write this down, for these words are true and they're faithful. God is in the business of new creation. God is in the business of, you know, even Solomon under the Old Covenant, he, uh, you know, he began to say, I believe it is in chapter 2, the thing which has been is the thing which is going to be. He begins to say, you know, uh, the, the, the water recycles, it's evaporated, it goes into the clouds, it falls into the sea, yet the sea is not full. And it goes back into the clouds and it evaporates and it falls. And it, in other words, he talks about repetitive cycles. And as he finishes that second chapter of Ecclesiastes, he says, is there anything anywhere that you can say, see, this is new. Because what he began to talk about is in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. That's true if you're living life under the sun. But if you live life in the sun, let me tell you Solomon, when he asked the question, is there anything anywhere that you could say, see, this is new? I'm going to tell you the answer to that is absolutely. His mercies are new every morning. There's a new creation. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem. There is new tongues. There is new wine. And as I might even add while I'm talking about the new wine, because we're talking about water being turned into wine, Jesus makes this statement. He said, no man takes new wine 
and puts it into old bottles, or else the bottles will burst and they will never be able to contain the wine, and you don't put a piece of new cloth into an old garment. Let me tell you the context there is not about you can't sing charismatic songs in a traditional church. And, 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 and you know, we use that terminology for a lot of stuff, and I guess that's okay, but really the thrust of what he's really saying here is you cannot put the new wine of the Spirit-filled life of the believer into an old covenant paradigm or an old vessel. What's happening right now in the church literally all over the world, and especially in America, is the water pots are breaking. In other words, we're trying to put new wine, new covenant realities into old covenant wineskins because we use old covenant ideas to govern. We use old covenant ideas in the prophetic and we produce Old Covenant prophets and Old Covenant Levitical priests. But when a New Covenant prophet comes on the scene, or a New Covenant priest after the order of Melchizedek, or we start seeing the shift from a new way of governing, where we don't govern by law, but we govern by love. We don't rule from fear, but we rule from faith. And we submit one to another it begins to break this wineskin. And what's got religious leaders tore up is the same thing that had the Pharisees and scribes tore up under the Old Covenant. It's because they don't want to let loose of their power over people. I'm going to tell you, God has the power over people. He's the governor because when He fills these water pots with water, it is powerfully symbolic to me of Him filling the earthen pots, the six water pots that were earthen vessels with water which symbolizes the Spirit, and then taking that water and turning it into the new wine of the Holy Ghost. That is why Peter would stand up on the day of Pentecost and say, these men are not drunk as you suppose. They were in fact drunk. <laughs> I mean, they were having a Holy Ghost hoedown. They were in fact drunk on the wine of the new wine of the Holy Spirit. God had put the new wine into new vessels and a new church, a new bride, a new temple, a new testament, a new covenant, a new day, a new creation, a new city was all about to come on the scene. And what was going to take place is that what he was placing inside of them would be the thing that would produce the change on the external. And I've shared this, per this part before, but I, in this context I feel like I need to share it again. When you go back again and you look at the patterns of the deliverance from Egypt into the Promised Land, and I've already shared with you how that the Exodus was out of this time in the New Covenant. It is paralleled to the spiritual. Egypt is paralleled in Revelation 11:8 to the religious system that they were coming out of. We are coming out of the bondage of slavery and servitude and headed to the Promised Land. And the Promised Land, again, is not a literal piece of real estate. The Promised Land is in Hebrews 4. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Go back and listen to the first two where I introduced the way to interpret uh, types and shadows. It's a new way, it's a new land, a new life. Read Romans 6 verse 1 in the Message Bible, a new life 
and a new land, and that new land is called Graceland in Romans 6 verse 1 in the Message Bible, where Adam has left the building, so to speak. And so we've come into a new land, a promised land called Christ, because in Christ all of God's promises are yes and amen. Jesus was the fulfillment of all, all, say it again, all the promises that God made to the Law and the Prophets. He was the fulfillment of those things. And so in that journey from, from uh, the wilderness, or from Egypt into the Promised Land, let me tell you, you're already there positionally. Where the transformation has to come now is in our thinking, because some of us are still in bondage in our minds, and we are living like strangers right in the land of promise. But as you see, the deliverance by divine degrees as they came up out of Egypt, they were delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb in Egypt. God said, put the blood on the doorpost of the house, take the lamb inside the house in the night, roast the fire, and eat the head and the legs and the pertinence thereof. And while Hebrews were in their homes in the land of Goshen, under the blood and partaking of lamb, Egypt was crumbling around them. Can I tell you that I believe we've come to a day where we're starting to feed people again on lamb and nothing but lamb, nothing but mutton, real lamb. And we're eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And while the church is doing that, Egypt is shaking and crumbling. And a lot of times we think Egypt as the secular world, but in reality it was all of the bondages and chains of an Egyptian system that made slaves out of you and, and Egyptian brick factories. Anybody could lay brick, but it takes a wise master builder to lay stones. And you're not bricks. You're lively stones. And pastor, leader, minister, you're either, you're either, a, uh, you're, you're either a brick factory or you are learning how to lay stones and they don't all look the same and they don't all walk the same and things are different. And let me tell you, and being a part of a reformation that I believe for the last 40 years of my ministry, there's a lot of changes that I have had to walk through and question and because everything in us wants to go back to what we came from. And I can't help but think about a scripture I've been sharing a lot out of the book of Deuteronomy. I believe it's in chapter 11, might be in chapter, I think it's 11, 11. He said, For the land whither thou goest in to possess it, it is not like the land of Egypt where you came from. In other words, where you're headed does not look like where you came from. Because where you're headed is totally different. He said, Because Egypt, you had to till the ground with your foot. You had to water it with the water you carried from the river Nile. But where you're headed is a land the Lord your God cares for, where the rain of heaven falls on it. In other words, it's a place where God Himself does the work, and He does it in you. Under the old covenant, in other words, listen, this would be powerful to somebody listening to me that will go off in your spirit today. Where you're headed spiritually does not look like where you are going to. Stop wanting to go back to Egypt. The wilderness journey was to get you to stop lusting for the leeks and garlics and watermelon and the uh, Egyptian bondage and the Egyptian diet you came from. He's trying to get you to lose your appetite and stop murmuring. Stop. You see, people say, well, you know what, why don't you ever preach this into the promised land? Because we never stop murmuring about the diet. 
because they started murmuring because they loathed or they hated the light bread. They hated the miracle that God was giving them every day. And in the New Testament, again, if you go back and listen to my uh, series on the seven I am's of Jesus, he said, you thought that was the bread in the wilderness. Your fathers ate bread in the wilderness. They're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven. And, and, and when we get to the place where we start to whine and murmur and complain, if somebody is feeding us on a steady diet of Jesus plus nothing, then we're going to get ourselves in a place where all we're going to get is flesh. And just like the children of Israel, they got flesh till it came out their noses. But here's what I want you to see. I said all that to bring you to show you that these patterns are, again, a picture of the deliverance by which God brings us into, uh, into the promised land. So they left Egypt delivered by blood. They do, they, they, they've got a lamb inside their house. They leave Egypt. They come to the bank of the Red Sea, and they're about to be delivered by water. So they've been blood-bought, if you will, and in the Red Sea is a picture of water baptism, and even the New Testament writer said, even as they were baptized into the sea, into Moses, into the New Covenant, we are baptized into Christ. Now, the moment they came up out of the Red Sea, it was exactly 50 days after the Passover, exactly 50 days. When they crossed, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, God comes down on the mountain, and when He does, He gives them the law. Rules on rocks, I call it. The moment the law was given, they're already in violation of the law, and 3,000 people drop dead. Now, what I want you to see is, fast forward to the New Covenant, in Acts chapter 2, it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. You say, why? the day of Pentecost, because the word Pentecost means 50. In other words, it was exactly 50 days after Passover. It would be the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost, called the Feast of Weeks because of the seven weeks. And then the Sabbath that would follow would be exactly 50 days after Jesus has been crucified to bring us out of the spiritual bondage of Egypt. I, if you can't see this, I don't know what I can do for you. And the moment that it's 50 days later, another cloud comes down and fills the house where 120 are sitting. And He fills them this time with the Holy Spirit. And when He fills them with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 exactly are added to the church. Under the Old Covenant, 3,000 people drop dead because the letter killeth. In the New Covenant, 3,000 are added because the Spirit gives life. What he was doing on Acts chapter 2 is filling the water pots of humanity with the water of the Spirit. And he was turning that water into wine. Hallelujah. And that's how they got drunk, as you suppose, or not as you suppose. They were just very, very filled with the Holy Ghost. And the work of the Holy Ghost began to work, and it became if you will, a new method of cleansing. Remember, these water pots were used for cleansing. Let me say this clearly because I think it's something really need to be said in New Covenant grace circles, and that is when, we, when, we, when we're teaching freedom from the law and freedom from the Old Covenant, we're not just talking about lawlessness. When in my newest book, uh, From Law to Grace, I've got one of them laying here. I deal with this quite a bit. It's uh, From Law to Grace, a Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
John the Baptist says, repent, the kingdom's at hand. And the word repent means to change the way you think or to turn about or to turn around. But repentance is not just what you turn from, it's what you turn toward. Because a lot of people turn from religion, a lot of people turn from law, but they didn't turn toward the government of Holy Spirit. Because the kingdom of God is what replaced the law. Another form of government comes on the scene. And this form of government is not a hierarchical system or a bunch of rules on rocks. This government is the government of Holy Spirit because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy, and it's located in the Holy Ghost, so that when you get the Holy Ghost, you've got a new form of government. The kingdom comes inside of you, and the King Himself takes up a boat inside of you, and the Spirit Himself comes inside of you, so that if you see this parallel, the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. And let me say this to you, if the Holy Spirit cannot make people behave and live a godly life and cleanse them and purge them, all the legalism and law and threats you make will not change their lives. Law can change behavior temporarily, but grace will change the heart. Law can conform you, but grace will transform you. And so I believe that if, if, if all you've done is turn from law, then you've been part of a rebellion. And that may be start, the beginning of your journey, but I'm not interested in leading a rebellion. I'm interested in leading a reformation and letting people be reconciled to God and let them live out of this internal. See, the whole powerful point of the new covenant, no wonder this is the first miracle is because He's showing you here's a whole shift in paradigm. Number one, I'm going to get married to you. Number two, I'm going to put this water inside of you called the Spirit. I'm going to turn it into wine, the Holy Ghost. It's going to be a different form of how you are cleansed. And the last of the wine is going to be better than the first wine. And you can't take the new wine and put it into an old container or it's going to break the container and when they, they brought this wine, I, I just challenge you as we bring this wine, I don't know how, how easy it would have been to be one of the guys who brought the first cup to this ruler of the, of the feast because it was used to wash people's hands and feet and so forth and think, I'm going to give this guy a drink of this, I better trust Jesus. But let me tell you, I think some people are repulsed by the message of grace and the new covenant. But let me tell you, taste and see, for the Lord is good. And what you're going to find out is that this new wine, this last wine, is way better than the first. I'm telling you what a journey it has been as we partake of this new wine, and we partake of it that it is much better than the old wine. How is it that this best wine was saved for last? Isn't that glorious? I don't know about you, but please partake of it. I'm, you know, people are afraid to partake of this new wine of the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you, it's the best thing ever happened to you. We're about to run out of time. Join us again next week at the same time and continue following our series on this. Uh, if you would like to uh, become a partner with us or you'd like to help us to take this kind of gospel around the world, it's very easy to do. You can go to my website and there's a place where you can give via credit card 
or debit card. And there's a place there also where you can say, make it a monthly gift or just a one-time gift. But your support is what keeps us on the air. You can also text to give. There'll be a number on the screen to do that. If you can't do any of that, you'd like to just send a check or money order, there will be an address on the screen at the end where you can do that. Or you can pick up the phone and call and someone will either get back to you. But please consider becoming a partner with us today. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.